Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex Leo and founder of Mars Space. Welcome to another episode of Life on Mars. And in this one, we'll be talking to Eleanor Manley, CTO and co-founder of Metaspace, which is a B2B deep tech startup helping other companies to prevent sexual harassment at work. So we'll be discussing very sensitive topics. Uh, in particular, we'll be talking about sexual harassment, cultural differences between countries, between companies, how to prevent it, what's the impact of it, and how technology can solve it. We'll be nerding out on natural language processing. We'll be nerding out on product, on SaaS, on integration, on text processing, on Python, and a lot more. So I will leave you with this very interesting episode. Hope you enjoy it. Eleanor, good morning. How are you? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Life on Mars. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. uh, You are based in Spain. Actually, yeah. right? But you, uh, you're you not from here, but uh, can you give us a little bit from uh, of your background so that we understand who you are and, and then we'll go into the, into the product because this is a very, very interesting uh, company that we want to talk about today. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm currently in Madrid, um, but well, I did my master's here in data science, but before that I was based in France. That's where I grew up, but I'm originally English as my accent was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely not a Spanish or a, or a French <laughs> accent, <laughs> but also not a, uh, I don't know if you happen to have acquired the accent from Madrid when you're speaking Spanish, because that's a yeah, pretty characteristic one. I have a French one. accent. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you need, you need to say phenomenal every second word and that's, that's it. You're speaking yeah, like a, you. like a person from Madrid. <laughs> Anyways, you're co-founder and CTO of Metaspace. Uh, that's a very interesting company, although you're in early stages. Uh, when I got to know this company through my sister, actually, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. We need to cover this in our podcast. Why? You might want to introduce Metaspace. Okay, yourself. definitely. Um, so Metaspace is a B2B platform to help companies completely eradicate sexual harassment from the workplace. And we do this through three main technologies. And that includes a reporting app for employees so that they can report any type of workplace misconduct, but it's specialized in sexual harassment. And then we realized that it's super important that on the company side, they're also getting help. So we have a case resolution for them to receive all the reports and also to message employees if they're anonymous. And lastly, and this is what we're most excited about, is a natural language processing algorithm to detect sexual harassment as it's occurring in real time in written workplace communications. Let's let's talk a, let's talk a little bit first about the business part of the of the, of the company. We want to go also deep into technology, but um, obviously when we're uh, we're talking about B two B and th- this is your case in MetaSpace, we have to find what are the incentives to companies to sell this kind of product, right? Because B two B sales are complicated. You are probably experiencing <laughs> that yourself firsthand, but uh, they're complicated. They're a long sales cycle. And most of the times where B2B companies are extremely technical or very technical, they struggle to sell to other companies because they're pretty much focused on the what, but not so much on what are the incentives or the, or the, the, the benefit for the companies, right? But 
by reading on your LinkedIn and everything, it's pretty clear, right? You're talking about uh, you have already identified some data that's very relevant. Like uh, you can decrease the staff turnover if you uh, the the management time uh, also manage to reduce absenteeism if you if you correctly identify and deal with these problems. So how are you communicating this to the companies right now? What's the process of of selling like? Uh, because this is a pretty groundbreaking, very groundbreaking um, software. That I'm pretty sure no company out there has it. Yeah, so we usually break it down into three main categories. So firstly, um, ethically, obviously, um, the majority of individuals have experienced uh, sexual harassment at one point in their working careers. Um, so our data and, and data from you know, the European Union or, or businesses like Deloitte have found that on average 60% of women and a third of all men have experienced sexual harassment. And then, as you mentioned, that actually translates to real costs. Um, so, you know, decrease in productivity is massive. And my fantastic co-founder with our financial advisor have managed to create like a calculator of cost of sexual harassment. So oh, if wow. we know how many employees are in a company and the ratio of men and women, we can work out how much sexual harassment is costing them every week. Um, and then finally, legally, today, there's actually a legal incentive that companies must have a whistleblowing framework for all companies more than 50 employees in the EU. And this is called the Whistleblowing Directive. So really for us, it's it's fantastic that this directive is coming into force in December because it's not only an ethical and a financial issue, but it's also a compliance issue today. How are companies dealing with this nowadays when they don't have Metaspace, actually? So. Yes. So the, the most common, um, well, there's two main scenarios. Either they have a HR department. Correct. Yeah, that's what I was HR getting. department. And so you'd be encouraged to just go directly to your HR department, um, if not to your case manager. So the problem with that is that usually... 99.8% of people don't report because you have to go yourself and there's not right. this possibility to be anonymous. Um, there are companies that have internal reporting systems, but they tend to be hotlines, um, which like, I mean, the number hasn't changed and 99.8% of people still aren't reporting with these hotlines. And lastly, we do have competitors in the reporting space. They tend to be like legal tech um, and they also have reporting systems. So they tend to just be um, like kind of just like a reporting web application, for example, that allows them to be anonymous. Yeah, sort of like an anonymous black box, something like that, where you yeah. can send your case and then somebody yeah. from HR, usually they check them every week, every month to see what happens. And But it's difficult because obviously you don't want to trace it back to the person who yeah. submitted that. But at the same time, you might not know whom to contact or I don't know. Exactly. I, I see a lot of like it's kind of blurry there as yeah. to how they when, function. When we first started, um, when we first created our MVP, it was just a reporting app that allowed. <laughs> it was just sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, it was just a reporting app that allowed um, employees to report anonymously. But when we, the main feedback that we received from our pilot projects was that, oh, like, how do I actually contact this person? So that's why we've included a messaging platform so that even when someone's anonymous, they can still, you know, you can still be in contact with them. And I think one of the most important things is that we tend not to ask the person reporting what they actually want. 
So like, what mm-hmm. do you actually want the outcome to be of this? Because the majority of times, um, if you have a zero tolerance policy in your company, you're, you're less likely to receive reports because people don't actually want people to be fired. So if you ask the person, like we do in our application, what outcome do you want? That can range from, oh, I just want to have a conversation and have this acknowledged to, I, I want this pursued to the greatest extent. That really right. helps not only the individual to manage their expectations, but also for the HR to know exactly what steps need to be taken. And how do you how do you standardize this between companies and countries? Because you know yeah. it's not the same working in a fifty people uh, company as in working for Deloitte, for instance, right? Or even between countries, I'm guessing that this is culturally different. Not saying this is accepted, but you know there are more there are certain countries in which sexual harassment, unfortunately, is much more tolerated. I don't know if that's the right word because I'm not native in English, so sorry about that. But like, um, I don't know. There are some other cultures in which they are more strict about this kind of things and zero tolerance policy, right? How do you standardize this or how do you manage these cultural differences across countries yeah. in your uh, in your product? Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question. And we're such an international team as well because that's I'm English and French. And then my co-founder is German, Italian, like clearly oh. very <laughs> different approaches to sexual harassment in both those countries. Um, yeah. So what we're doing at the moment is we're, we're presenting a very simple product to the market, one that we're hoping that once we start receiving feedback and data, we can actually adapt it. Fortunately, because we're a techni- most of us are a technical team, um, we're able to make those changes really, really quickly, but we're very aware that like we're, we're going to have to change it depending on where, where it's based, especially for the natural language processing algorithm. I mean, that is just a completely different ballpark. At the moment, it's just in English because, I mean... I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, the data collection obviously is the biggest hurdle for any natural language processing algorithm um, or natural language understanding algorithm. And so at the moment, we're just collecting it from from English sources. And then later on, as we kind of grow and are able to actually extract our own data, we hope to be able to expand to more languages. I was going to go into the NLP part because um, that's that's a little bit more technical and perhaps uh, some parts of it escape me, to be honest. But I can see one case in which um, software like this might might struggle, right? right? Because some, some, some software, or at least a lot of software, they take some bias in yeah. thinking that People have got native English, and you're sitting in Spain right now. We're we're not famous. We're not famous for speaking or writing um, very good English. So, therefore, how does this uh, this algorithm take this into consideration? Because I know that sometimes, I mean, the lowest you go in your level of English, the poorest your word choice is, right? And sometimes you might want to say something. You end up saying something else that might be offensive to somebody who's got a better English, right? But that the algorithm doesn't really care. Like you said yeah. that. I don't care about your intention or your knowledge of the uh, or your skill in in the language, but how can you deal with that? Or are we speaking of something that's too far away from now? No, no, that's it's, that's really interesting. So, firstly, I think you brought up a really good point about intention. So that's something yep. in general when it comes to sexual harassment. It doesn't really matter the intention mm. of the individual; it's the impact. It's like even, for example, on a completely different example, if I was to push you unintentionally and you fell and you hurt yourself, the impact is still there. So that's how you that's should do it for sexual harassment as well. Yeah. Um, but going more back into you know the NLP, 
yeah. the, the most important thing for us is to mitigate our own bias. So like me is it when when you're extracting data from a from a specific source to classifying it all along the data pipeline, you have to acknowledge the choices that you've made because that's going to have a radical effect on on how the algorithm perceives certain things. Um, so firstly that, so like every choice we made make is like very, very clearly documented and we explain why we've done it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, completely transparent. Like we're, we're more than happy to, to share why we've taken those decisions. But ultimately it's going to be up to the receiver of the message to say whether they believe that's sexual harassment or not. We're not actually classifying it as sexual harassment, but we're saying it's possible sexual harassment. So that allows for very broad umbrella yeah. terms. So for example, if I was to send you a message saying, oh, you look so good today, Alex, Like Mm. if we have a relationship that's friendly, that might be like, oh, thank you, Eleanor. But if we don't and, you know, you find that wildly inappropriate in the workplace, you would then receive a pop-up that says, oh, um, Alex, if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, feel free to report it. If you say yes, then the algorithm learns that actually, yeah, that this is a case of sexual harassment. Because it's really important that it, it continues to learn from feedback. And then, of course, you can then report and have a timestamp proof of a message that I sent and either choose to log it into the reporting application as just proof or submit it um, automatically. Because that integrates with the company's communication platform. So I understand yeah. that this integrates with uh, Microsoft Teams, with Slack and, and whatnot, right? Yeah, Which- that's still in development. <laughs> We're we're still right now working on the NLP because I'm not a I'm not a plugin developer, so I yeah. need to move with that. If anyone's listening is a plugin developer, no worries. But but, but maybe when we'll release this podcast in a few weeks, it will already be uh, yeah, already be available. Um, yeah, the, the one thing that I wanted to uh, to comment on there. So how transparent is this to the employees? Right, uh, obviously they're going to notice, but do they know in advance? Do they know be, uh, beforehand uh, that this is running in the company? Because this is also having access to their conversations, right? And I understand that you will be analyzing. Uh, mostly, this happens in private conversations, I understand. Yeah. Not so much in pl- public channels. Um, so um, what's the reaction <laughs> of the employees like? Yeah. Um, so, for example, I think, um, like, the goal of, of our technologies is to make, like, meta space like not exist anymore like that's our ultimate goal is that you know sexual harassment is correct, correct. and you don't need it anymore so yeah. then the reporting application and the case management system is reactive so it's, it's proactive to the cases but it's still a reactive thing the sexual harassment has already occurred but with the natural language processing we're also thinking that it will be a preventative measure if you t- say to someone we have an algorithm that will detect um sexual harassment in real time I think a lot of people don't realize what they're sending necessarily. Sometimes it could be unintentional, as you mentioned, but you'll think twice before sending that message. And if we can also be preventative, that's better. If we receive no flags on the algorithm, great. (laughs) That's kind of the ideal scenario. Yeah, I understand that like uh, maybe it's not directly related, but some things I was mentioning uh, previously when I was addressing the fact that some people, or at least here in Spain, Normally, English is not, or we're not using the best, uh, the best words. When, uh, you know, in terms of diversity and inclusion, uh, it's very usual for us to say, hey, guys, to address a whole lot of people, right? And this yeah. is something that's being changed uh, to where saying like, hey, folks, hey, mates, something like that, something more diverse, not yeah. implying that every, everybody's male, right? And, yeah. but while a lot of people think like, well, this is just a, ma- a matter of language, you're right. Like, it's a matter of language now, 
but it might have an impact on other people, right? And it, yeah. it doesn't really mean that, like, it, it means a lot, sorry, to just change that, guys, which is like four letters to something else. Yeah. And once you do it, it's like, boom, right? Not a big deal, but like, it means a lot to the receiving end, right? So I understand that more or less here. Here's the same. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, about the, well, I mean, the, the product itself, the technology is, right? Because you're, you're a founding team, you're coding. So can you give me a brief overview of what technologies are using to code Metaspace? Um, so I'm using Python. Uh, that's the, the main language that I use. And then our software developer is using uh, JavaScript, uh, React, and React Native. Great. What, what, you know, what made you choice? Uh, what made you choose these technologies? Um, was it previous yeah. experience in other companies? Was it because you learned React in your, you have a master's in big data, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Probably exactly. learned it there or... What was the what was the rationale? Yeah. I mean, like Python for machine learning. I mean, I don't want to say Python's the best because like any everyone in R is going to start screaming. But yeah, <laughs> for me, it's most intuitive. Um, and then obviously for software development, React Native is is fantastic to allow us to have a native iOS and Android app. So we, we that's the reason that we're using that. What advantages are you finding in, uh, I mean, did you consider going uh, with mobile? Did you consider going native or not really? And you yeah, wanted to have good. like... Mobile app um, is is native for, for iOS and Android. Yeah. Um, and the reason why we we're, we want the reporting application to be an, you know, a phone application is because mm -hmm. it's really important for us for it to feel personal. We don't want it to be like on their web, on their work devices. Where right. I mean, also for from a security standpoint, if you're submitting an anonymous report and a company can see that one person has opened this application on their computer that day, it doesn't take like much to to decide like oh this person has submitted it. Um, so that's why we'd encourage everyone to you know use it maybe even off the company Wi-Fi um, yeah. at home just to ensure that it's you know super secure. All right. Well, that's that's a good point. So, in order to file these these, so as I understand it, so you will have a something popping up on your on on your screen or sending you a message. I understand on the computer because you're chatting on the computer. But then it's like, hey, you want to report this? Download our app. Is that how it works? Yeah. So what we'd want is like as we go into a company, we would encourage everyone to download the app straight away. The reason All for right. that is because. The last thing you want to do when you want to submit a sexual harassment report is have to go through setting up a, a profile. Um, so, um, yeah, like just just basic things like that. And obviously, like as we acquire more customers, we're gonna change the process over and over again. So that's the current process. Like if we talk in a couple of weeks, it might have changed. And then we also encourage companies as soon as they onboard someone new to get them to download the app. Um, we're thinking of possible integrations with other. Um, with other systems because we are aware of like the fatigue around you know like having to download a new app for work um mm -hmm. so like that at the moment we're still kind of yeah discussing internally if this is um how we want to keep it or if we we're lucky that we're flexible enough and the technical team is good enough for us to be able to make that change very quickly yeah because i was going to say that that must create a lot of friction if you if you require that every employee must yeah. download this app yeah um 
But I'm pretty sure that you're you're gonna solve that. That's something that uh, you know with React Native or just creating like a like a, a web app that just fires yeah. up on your phone, just working in the similar way, maybe less friction and it's more seamless yeah. and continues to be anonymous all, all the all the way. But I yeah, that's a very good point. Like um, uh, obviously I haven't thought about that, but like um, but having to submit it through your phone makes it feel more personal. And you can do it from the comfort of your home and like maybe after after. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you want to slip on it a little bit, right? You don't want to do it right away from the computer because it's also traceable. So there's a balance there in terms of like security and uh, and, and and privacy, if, if, if you will. Um, how about the, the, uh, the, uh, the NLP part, right? Because I think we haven't discussed this in any episode. We've got like 30 episodes, 30-ish something episodes right now of the podcast. We've never discussed this. So talk us a little bit about what's, uh, NLP uh, for the average listener that we have that might not be familiar with this concept. Yeah. So um, NLP stands for Natural Language Processing, and it's at the intersection of linguistics, um, so computational linguistics and machine learning. And ultimately, what it does is it helps computers understand written human text, written human communications. Um, so it means that you can collect a huge amount of data and actually extract the trends, the keywords, um, or create machine learning models for sexual harassment um, that would you wouldn't be able to do like as an individual. Uh, the reason that I loved it so much is because before I used to be in the humanities, I wanted to get into history and mm. politics. And so I had the opportunity, like when I first started to learn how to code, to analyze some of my favorite books. And so that completely like changed my perception of coding um, because I could actually do something that I, that I loved. A big part of it is collecting the so-called also big big data, right? Where you collect the data at scale and you have to have a very good, like, you know, you're data scientist, like big part of your job is being a data scientist. So you have to kind of like without results or data that is not relevant from the data set, train yeah. the algorithm. Um, how is the process? Because you're building it right now. So it might be, might be different in the future, but right now, what is the, what is the, you know, the logical algorithm there that, that you're using to collect all of this information, because obviously we chat a lot throughout the day in companies, but this information is not really, I mean, I understand that 100% of it is not really relevant to the training, the data set, right? But you might want to focus only on private conversations or conversations with certain individuals are included. What's your, what's your data collection process like here? Yeah, so currently we web scrape from different like forums. So it's all like open public open forums that we can web scrape. Um, so right. after we've extracted like quite a big chunk of data, uh, we then go into cleaning. Um, so that's, you know, everything from removal of URLs to removal of emojis, punctuation, um, lemmatization is when, or like lemmatization, post tagging, um, lots of different stuff that you can do and then afterwards you play around with different cleaning techniques to see whether or not it improves the accuracy of the model because what you want to do is create a trained data set and a test data set so you have the data set that you've classified as sexual harassment um, we haven't automatically tagged it as all possible sexual harassment we haven't tagged it ourselves or classified it ourselves because we don't want to impose our own bias so we've let a machine learning model to do that or we've um, extracted text which has already been classified as sexual harassment by the individual um, and then you test that on like a completely different data set like something really random so at the moment we're testing it against a, a crypto forum on reddit 
for example. And oh my god! So, yeah, like, completely, like you got all that, walks of life there. Yeah, exactly. So we're testing that on that because, like, we assume that that's one of the least likely places that there's going to be sexual harassment when they're talking about Elon Musk. Um, so that's that's <laughs> our, our test is set at the moment. All right, yeah, because basically in those floors, like everybody's male, right? <laughs> Heterosexual male, like. Um, no. Because um, Reddit, for example, is a majority like male platform, but that doesn't mean that men aren't sexually harassing other men. <laughs> so like we oh, found no, that a lot. Not. However, what I can understand, like I'm not a great Reddit user, um, but I, I frequent a couple of them um, now and then. And uh, I see that basically in Reddit, I think they have adopted this or they have inherited the culture of like being pretty aggressive to each other. It's like people like to keep other people shit for no reason, right? So I'm pretty sure that doesn't really, I don't know, that that doesn't really translate to the kind of language that you will be finding in a, in a, in a, in a normal company. Like, I mean, if people spoke like they, they do, like they post on Reddit, that wouldn't be a very, very healthy company, yeah. if, you know, if you know what I mean. So um, now my point being, but also that, comp that, that sort of culture from Reddit stems off or derives from the old internet forums, right? And 20 years ago, when I was posting on forums, it was really accepted, so to speak, to, to like insult people and like offend people like f for no reason at all. So how does this, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm, for what I understand, you have taken, um, you have trained your data set from internet forums. Is this sort of like historic acceptance as translated also into your data set? I mean, I don't know if I got the point across, but like uh, what I wanted to say, like, prior to, let's say, the, the last 10 years or something like that, the internet language was a little bit more aggressive. It was more yeah. aggressive than it is now. So how does that affect your data set learning? I mean, firstly, we're not extracting anything that's, um, like, it's not really, really old um, data. Yeah, no, so, like, right. it's how people speak today. Um, and then, again, like, m most importantly is that As, as we said, we've classified it as possible sexual harassment. It's ultimately yeah. up to the person who receives it to decide whether or not they, they think this is sexual harassment. And also, we're hoping that once we start getting that feedback um, and we're, we're thinking about using possible reinforcement learning, but that's something I need to look into, um, is that we can then, the algorithm will start like feeding itself. Um, so we just need to create like a baseline model. And then after that, once we start getting our own data, we can start using that. The reason I was, I was asking is because there's been an interesting timeline of evolution of the language, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that because if you're working with NLP, you will have to deal with this, right? Whereas 30 years ago, there was only a text, some forum moderation techniques actually detected certain words and they, they would send you a message like, oh, you used like, you know, the N-word or something like really offensive. This is not tolerated in this, in this, in this board. And then people started using ASCII, right? Or ASCII, I don't know how it's, it's pronounced, uh, but like to, um, to avoid these, uh, these moderation rules, right? A little bit later in time. So there's always been like, whenever there's been like some sort of an action to censor, prohibit certain mm -hmm. action, there's been a reaction to that, right? Yeah. And with a more creative way. Then along came the emojis, right? And at yeah. first, emojis were not treated as part of the text detection or search engines. Lately, they have. 
when emojis got censored as well, because in certain platforms they're not allowed, or you will get a, you know, if you're using the emoji of a gun, then you will also mm-hmm. receive this kind of report. Then we saw GIFs. Yeah. But GIFs are also censored now, because if you go on giphy.com and you just type uh, Hitler, you will get no results, right? Yeah. So people started using stickers. Right yeah. now we're in the phase like, People are using stickers because they are, there's no way now that they can be censored, right? Um, how are you, you know, if you're, you're probably taking this into, into account, but not yet. You're focusing on NLP first, but you know, yeah. emojis will have to ta- be taken into consideration that I don't know if like this platform's probably done a lot of stickers, but some of them, they allow voice, for instance. So how are you taking this into consideration yeah. in your roadmap? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. I think... Us, it was a very long question as well, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, that's, I'm trying to formulate in my head, but I mean, ultimately in the workplace that, and especially on these workplace communications that we're hoping to integrate with, um, I mean, Microsoft Teams, for example, I'm pretty sure they've already done their own censoring and I think it's the same for Slack. So yeah. I don't know if it will be up to us to, to do that. Um, I don't think we'll actually have, have the power to do so. I think that it would be the, the platform um, and we would just be the one doing the written text. Um, but I think what, like using computer vision and using um, like being able to actually acknowledge what is there is like a super interesting field of study, not at all my expertise, but it's definitely something that we would be really interested in using. And even for extracting data, like written data at the moment, um, we found a lot of like screenshots of like messages that people have sent someone else. So like, like um, really, really like, there's um, a subreddit called Creepy Dudes and it's just like, um, like screenshots. So like if you can actually use computer vision to understand those those screenshots, you can then extract the text, which like for us is a really, really interesting um, like addition to, to the algorithm. Seems like you, you should be talking to Reddit actually to, yeah. to allow them to use to process more data and, yeah. and, and ingest that into your into your system. Another edge, maybe it's not an edge case, but given that you're that you were brought up in France, but you're still half English, half French. You're a founder is half German, half Italian, if I remember correctly. There's something interesting there, which is bilingual, trilingual people. We yeah. more often than not have got conversations in more than one language in the same thread, right? Yeah. How do you, like, out of curiosity, like I've never studied this, I never, I never dealt with this, but how do you process this? Because it's very different from the scenario from, you know, processing only Italian or only French conversations, yeah. but maybe you and I could be having a conversation in Spanish and in English, and then some words in French in the same thread, yeah. right? In the same conversation. How does your algorithm take that into account? At the moment, it, it doesn't because... Okay, because um, it's only English, right? Yeah, it's only English, so it wouldn't pick up the words apart from if they were really similar to the... the so imagine, like, there's some English words that take from the French, like the Latin base. So, like, yeah. that you'd be able to pick up on um, if it, it was uh, flagged as, as potential sexual harassment. But what we would do in the future is... Uh, basically, I would do the same process again of what I've done in yeah. English and then just um, have to find the sources in, in French and Spanish. I think like French and Spanish is, and Italian is probably our next, or, and German, sorry, are our next yeah. languages that we're interested in. <laughs> the Germans yeah. trying to impose those, like, uh, German is very important. Well, not, not in the workplace, not that much. <laughs> I, I mean, I would say like Spanish is much more 
broadly, yeah, it's much more broadly accepted, especially in the US or Latin America. There's a huge market, right? I mean, I, it's probably it's top five language in the world, whereas German is not. But because um, that, that's what I was going to say. So probably your the market you're addressing, it's uh, English only companies. However, my point being, when you speak in private with somebody where most likely most of the sexual harassment interactions happen, happen in private. So they are probably, I don't know if you got some data with that. Do they happen between people with the same, who speak the same language? Do they have the same background? They're from the same country? Like, I don't know, two French people working for for Shopify, for instance. They speak in French in private, right? So you wouldn't be able to detect it right now. Yeah. How does that, um, how does like that happen? I think one of the main issues with sexual harassment is there's very little data on it in general. So like that's why we're yeah. trying to be the most kind of data-driven as possible to start actually getting insights because, as, as I mentioned, we're trying to put our solution to the market and then we're going to adapt it as soon as we start getting our data back because yeah. there's just nothing out there at the moment. I'm, the, the broad trend that we're seeing is that... Um, it's not as black and white at all as people think there is. It's really, really gray. So like, for example, men tend to be able to recognize um, the very clear black and white case of sexual harassment in the workplace, whilst women tend to be able to see a broader spectrum of it and recognize um, more. So like men assume that sexual harassment in the workplace happens mostly between like, it's like a power play. So for example, the manager versus like, you know, someone who's, who's, um, in a lower position than them, um, yeah. when, you know, it doesn't happen like that. It can be an intern sexually harassing the big boss. Like, it's not, I mean, it's less likely, but it, it could happen as well. Um, yeah. So those, like, those are some trends that we're starting to extract from our data, but ultimately we hope to be able to start, like, as be able to answer your question specifically and say, oh, this company is most likely to have a sexual harassment case because of blah, 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 blah. And we can start actually creating benchmarks of likelihoods um, that a company is experiencing sexual harassment without necessarily knowing it. How about the, uh, let's talk about something that we we talk a lot about here in the in this podcast, which is tech fuck-ups, right? <laughs> um, what is your biggest tech fuck-up you've done so far? In terms of coding, maybe like you know, you like something not correctly said, and and the yeah. algorithm just produce something completely unexpected. It's like, oh wow! <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like I'm constantly fucking up. Um, <laughs> it's just constant. We should share. Like everybody fucks up. Like even our yeah. CTO fucks up. So I it's mean, like, oh, I yeah. mean, at the moment, I think for me, when I mess up the most is when I then don't understand why it fixed itself. So like it just magically fix itself so like uh, i'll get a bug and then i'll be doing loads of things to try to fix it and then all of a sudden it works and like that is what i hate the most because i know there's a problem that has just been hidden somehow and my software developer feels the same is that like if there's a bug in the machine and the machine suddenly starts working and then it's like well i need to break it to then see where it's actually like that tiny bit is broken so like i mean for example yesterday like my in python you have libraries and you do something called yeah. pip install and mm -hmm. my pip wasn't working on my whole computer and so I, right. it's it was really annoying because i mean i couldn't install any new libraries and then i was just doing something random and it started working again and like that for me is like the biggest like mess that i can have because i know that it's going to break again and i just don't know <laughs> why or when it's going to happen what got you? What got you into coding? Like, what did you see in coding? So, like, I want to go there. Like, you know, because yeah. you got a, a 
politics background, if I remember correctly, yeah. right? Yeah, I did yeah. Um, a bachelor's in international relations. That's actually how I met uh, my co-founder, Helena, because we oh, were nice. in the bachelor together. And then I think after um, after Brexit and, and Cambridge Analytica, I, I yeah. realized that I didn't have the skills required to actually get into politics. I Because I, I think that politics is going to become more and more data-driven as, as we continue. And data is going to influence politics, you know, more and more so that's why i decided to do the masters but then obviously um we, we created the company but if we hadn't created the company i would have probably have, have gone back into politics maybe i think you're really far ahead of our time because like if you're thinking that politicians should learn big data yeah i think, every, I think <laughs> before becoming politicians that's never gonna happen but like wow that's that's a, that's a very interesting approach i mean i can understand like you know, in some years time, the politicians that do have some sort of this background and also journalists, for instance, uh, that they need to understand yeah. the power of data and how to, you know, uh, uh, also how to weed out non-relevant data, how to train their yeah, uh, I data set and everything. I think it's a requirement. I think wow. that no one should be in a political position today, a high level political position, if they don't understand the basics of, of tech today, because you can't actually yeah. understand what's driving the world. Like you don't have to know how to code necessarily. You don't have to be a high-level coder, but you have to understand the basic mechanics behind data collecting and bias. Because then you understand also privacy, you understand yeah, exactly. advertisement, you understand yeah. the spread of false rumors and exactly. hate speech and whatever. Yeah, we, 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 we recorded a very interesting podcast on ad tech, right, uh, very recently mm -hmm. with Nandini Jami. The, the, you probably heard of her. She's the co-founder of Sleeping Giants. That was a company just, yeah. uh, you know, doing whistleblowing as well. Yeah for uh, companies who in, inadvertently they were advertising in hate speech forums because they didn't know where their ads would uh, yeah. would appear, right? And so uh, that's a very, well, that, that's a very interesting. Now I'm connecting the dots and I see I see your, your reasoning here. It's very, it's very, very interesting. Is there any book that you would recommend that has helped you to get into NLP or big data or even coding? Like, is there something that you would recommend to our audience to try, um, try to wrap it up? When I, when I first started, because um, I was always trying to link it back to politics. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I used to, like, I, I read um, Noam Chomsky's um, Syntactic Structures, and mm -hmm. he's, like, considered the grandfather of NLP because he did a lot of, like, the trees. But, like, today his, his, um, his theories are considered to be outdated because you don't actually need to create those trees anymore if you have, like, the, the, the new kind of, like school of thought is that if you have enough data the data is able to produce that itself um but like that was really interesting to understand like where nlp came from um and then apart from that i think especially when it comes to sexual harassment and gender equality i find that a lot of women are very very educated about it for example um most women i know have read invisible women um but i don't know any man who's read it and we need to stop like you know, I, I always encourage like men need to read these books because it's fine for women to become more and more educated on how unequal the world is for them. But men also need to know that like everything from how bathrooms are created to how algorithms are made um, actually influence gender equality. So I think that that's another really, really, um, I mean, it should be like on everyone's list <laughs> to read. Which is a very good point because that makes me well, that makes me ask this question. It's like now you're raising funds, you're you're fundraising for the company, and we we know it literally. It's a fact. Like most investors are white male, 
right? Yeah. Are you encountering any sort of friction of or resistance or like, oh no, this is never going to take off when pitching to white I male? mean, I we've never received anything like, oh, it's not it's not useful because uh, I think that would take like quite a while. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the point I wanted to make is like sometimes you know like seems to me. I don't want to generalize, but like men, usually we don't go to the doctor because when we go to the doctor, they find things. So yeah. if I don't go to the doctor, I'm healthy, right? Yeah, That's yeah, our yeah. rationale. I'm obviously exaggerating here. I'm, I'm trivializing this fact, right? Uh, so maybe most men are, mo most companies happen to be run by men and they're probably yeah. like, oh, I don't want to install this software because it will find things, right? Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure my company is normal. So is this something that you're encountering in the rationale when, you know, uh, investors are declining, for instance, or rejecting yeah, your Yeah, I definitely think deck? that, well, the, the main problem for us, I wouldn't say is, um, oh, um, like, oh, if we get this software, it's going to show problems. But rather before that, there's a thought that, oh, it's not a problem. So like, yeah, that's yeah. like the, the mentality, which is even before like, oh, but sexual harassment doesn't happen. Or if it does, it's false reports. Um, so that's something that we're like, we know that like we need someone who already has their eyes open to like that it's a problem. So if someone's saying, oh, um, oh, I don't want to get this software because, you know, it's going to create more problems that I can work with, that I can try yeah. to convince them. If that or like before that, just say like, oh, there's no problem. This is just the way of the world. Like I, we don't even bother. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Don't, you don't want to worry with negationists, right? Yeah. So Life is too short, honestly. Um, so, but like with um, investors specifically, what we're encountering is more, I think that the main reason that people don't invest in us is one, we're really early stage, obviously. So like fair. <laughs> um, and secondly, um, I think there is still this thought that like it could be a bit trouble. It is, it is something new and it is hard for companies to kind of like have this mentality shift of instead of being like, oh, we don't have any problems to, oh, we have problems, but we have a system to deal with it. But ultimately we hope to become the norm so that if you enter a company right. in the future and be like, wait, you don't have a sexual harassment reporting system. Like what kind of company is this? Like that's what it should be. Um, But so far, we've been very lucky with, you know, our, raising our family and friends around and now the angel round. Uh, the reason that we opened the angel round is because of, of people coming to us. Uh, we actually didn't, like, didn't consider uh, raising um, an angel round yet. And now it means that we were able to accelerate our process um, far more rapidly, uh, which is going to be fantastic. So that means someone helping me, hiring someone to help me with the machine learning and someone uh, else to help in software development. Yeah, when, when when I was taking a look at it from the perspective of an investor, I saw like one thing that's really good is being B2B, right? Yeah. Being B2B, that also allows you to bootstrap a little bit more because probably your your average ticket size uh, is higher than being a B2C tool and you don't need to invest in marketing as much. You can bootstrap the hell out of it. Um, however, it requires a big investment in technology. So of course you will need, uh, you want to run faster because yeah. there's no big play, there's no established player. So you want to be go there first. That's very exciting for a VC because like, wow, there's a blue ocean in front of you. If you can really be, become the standard for all the companies, that's a really good investment, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, setting aside the fact that VCs only take a look at the profits, not so much the impact, right? But at least that's going to help you. You're going to be aligning in that, in that space. However, um, another thing that probably can be 
complicated for 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 the VCs is that, or for me from a from an investor perspective, is you're selling to HR if I understand correctly, right? And HR has got at least in Spain has got low acquisition and decision power when yeah, buying software, absolutely. and and much less if the software is not deemed critical by the CEO, who most likely will be a male, yeah. <laughs> right? So. Uh, seems like there's, there's a, a lot of barriers, but if you're able to break through and since you're targeting US-based customers or English-speaking companies, it might be easier for yeah. you to sell, right? We're, we're not we're not actually, we're, we're targeting, like obviously at the moment it's in English because we're still in our yeah. testing, but like our market is definitely going to be European. And oh, right. Like because central, of the regulation, right? Because of yeah, the EU regulation. Yeah, Central and Southern European because that right. would need it a lot. <laughs> and... Um, also, there's no one. There's currently no competition in the market at all. You know, we have a couple of competitors in the UK and the US, uh, but when right. it comes to Europe, it, there tends to not be anything apart from a couple of legal. So, like the language thing for us is something that's going to change mm. very quickly. Uh, where like the reporting system and case management is can very quickly be changed uh, language, and then the NLP is just something that's going to have to continue sophisticating. How about the? How can how can we help this? How can we can uh, help the company? What's in what's in you know what's in store for MetaSpace in the in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think there's probably two main um, main things that well maybe three even uh, that individuals can help with. Um, firstly, as we're about to release the better, um, so like first of June, uh, which Good. is really really exciting. Um, we're going to be like acquiring our first customers. And we're looking for champions in, in companies to like help us bring it, as you said, like above HR. Um, so if there's anyone who wants to be a champion for us and push the product, that would be incredible. And then secondly, obviously, if there's we're raising our angel round. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out for that, um, it's really, really exciting for us um, to have people who are, for us, it's, it's going to be a strategic angel round. So in the sense where we want individuals who also not only care about the impact, but are able to either help us with the tech or the, um, the business side of things. Um, so, you know, so far we've been really fortunate with the angels that we've acquired, but there's still a little bit of room left. Um, and then lastly, I would say just from a more general perspective is that we have an ambassador program. Um, so right now with your sister, um, with <laughs> yeah. And um, we're currently reaching like past 50 ambassadors, which is just, incredible like it's grown so so quickly um so if anyone wants to be part of the ambassador program and it's just about you know doing everything from helping us do research and data collection to just helping us network yeah it's a bit well no, th thank you for the update actually my sister couldn't be here she it would have been fantastic to, yeah. to actually to be with my sister but her company doesn't allow public speaking even though it was not on behalf of the company so she couldn't make it apologized yeah. for that um, anyways, one last question, signature question uh, coming from me. And that's a really stupid question, but it, oh uh, it creates really, really good answers. Everybody has got a useless superpower. What is useless. yours? Useless. It, it has to be absolutely useless. Something you do every day, you do it fantastically, but it's fucking useless. <laughs> that's, oh gosh, I don't know. I, I don't even have a useless superpower. Is that sad? I have so little superpower, I don't even have a useless one. <laughs> it, it can be useful. It could also be. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good comeback, actually. I yeah. didn't expect that. Yeah, usually useless superpowers is something like 
you know, I know the lyrics to the songs I don't like, but I don't know the lyrics to the songs I like, which is one of mine, of course. Uh, or I, I always forget to lock my car, things like that. So I always misplace my whatever, my wallet, like every day. Like, uh, some things like really, really, like it needs to be like really stupid and useless, but you do it every day or every second day. Or yeah. You don't have anything like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I've, then. I'll take the not not even having yeah, I a have, useless superpower. Okay. It's pretty useless. Oh God. Yeah, oh God. I don't think I even have a superpower to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> come on, you've got many, and you're gonna need them for this adventure because um, all you deserve all the success or everything that's in our hands to to help you. You can count on on us and our community. So thank, thank you for you. being here and thank you for your time and good thank good so luck much. in this adventure. Thanks so much. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?